You're listening to the Elim Church Northampton podcast. This message was recorded live as part of our regular Sunday service. We know that this is a great investment into your life. So tune in and give it a listen. For more information, visit elimnorthampton.com. Who here is a people watcher? Who likes watching people? Give us a show of hands. Great, yeah, quite, quite a few of us. I love watching people. I find people absolutely fascinating. I particularly love the dynamic of when a husband is following his wife when they're shopping. I love that. And when he's been given sole control of the supermarket shopping trolley, but he doesn't have sole control because she controls it in the top right-hand corner with a little pinky, okay? But I love that. <clears throat> I'm going to call it a dynamic. I don't know whether it's a dynamic, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it a, dy- a dynamic. So I love watching people. Mind watching people can get you into bother sometimes, especially when you're at the traffic lights and you spot something and you start looking and then they turn around and they see you, people watching. I don't know how you deal with that. I've sometimes kind of just styled it out. Well, I say styled it out. Sometimes I've gone... I make a lot of mistakes. You know, like when you wave to somebody in the street and it's not them. Do you ever do that? Fantastic. And you go, hi, Dave, Dave. <clears throat> it's going to be a bit awkward and embarrassing, can't it? So I love watching people. And I love watching people because I absolutely love people. And if I could pray for one thing for us today as we start to tiptoe into Christmas, because it is just around the corner, as we start to tiptoe into Christmas, if I could pray one thing for us, it would, Lord, give us a new love for people. Because we all need people, even the introverts amongst you. You need people. You just need them for slightly shorter amounts of time. And you often need a darkened room after you've been with the people. And you need slightly deeper conversation than lovely weather we're having for the time of year. You need something a little bit more deep, but we all need people. I'm told that the average person, whether this is true or not, I don't know, but I'm told that the average person in the UK influences 10,000 people in their lifetime. I mean, you, you could see that actually with social media quite easily, easily these days, how that could be the case. It's also estimated, I'm told, that about 85% of people who come to faith do so because of a friend, of a relationship. I'm also told that within about one year of somebody becoming a brand new follower of Jesus, they lose quality contact with their friends who aren't followers of Jesus and I think that's really sad I think that's really sad so I want us to pray that we we love people more than ever we want to be with people more than ever both people who are followers of Jesus and people who aren't don't sell out on your friends just because you're a follower of Jesus let's be friends and with that in mind we're going to read something and this reading is prompted by A number of years ago, um, I had to take some time out. I'd been quite stressed. The the old blood pressure was quite up. I'd navigated through a tricky part of life with my uh, my wife who'd had ME. Some of you will know 
what ME is. If you've been in this church any number of years, you'll know that Pastor Linda suffered with it. It's a very debilitating uh, illness. It's, it's horrible. And so I kind of navigated all of that. And it was pretty stressful. And the doctor said to me, he said, you need to take some time out because if you carry on at this intensity, you're going to burn out and it'll destroy you. So you, you have to take some time out. He said, you need to find something to chill out with, to unwind, to take the stress off. So I thought, right, to help me do that, I'm going to restore a Type 2 1971 Volkswagen Bay Window Camper tax exempt. Something to take the stress away. It didn't take the stress away. It added to the stress. But I enjoyed it. Because I, I like cars. I'm, if I had the money, I'd be a petrol head. I am a petrol head. I just don't have the money to back it up. <laughs> I like cars very much. And so I went down about two days a week on average just to restore. And we com- I completely rebuilt. It was great fun. And uh, during that time, I met this guy. So I was restoring it. Uh, a friend's garage, he was a mechanic, he was a, he was a Christian and he'd been very kind to me to help me in my early days when I was travelling and, and literally had no money, literally had to rely on prayer and what came through people's generosity and, and Jeff was just amazing. So now I've got a little bit more money, I can restore this camper van. So I'm down there at his garage and I meet this guy called Scott. Now Scott and I were chatting, Scott wasn't a follower of Jesus, Jeff was a follower of Jesus. And Scott and I were chit-chatting. He said, do you know what, mate? Don't you think that Jeff is a class one friend? I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? That somebody's calling somebody a class one friend. And we kind of chit-chatted and about what, what, what do you mean by that? And at the end of that conversation, I was driving home that evening, I thought, wow. I don't know if I'm a class one friend. I want class one friends. But I don't know if I'm a class one friend. So I decided I want to try and be a class one friend. Now you can only be a class one friend to a small group of people. But I decided I was so inspired. And then do you know what? I began to realise, I don't know if you ever do this for those of you who, who read the Bible, that you sometimes get a particular perspective on something and you start to see the Bible come alive in different ways. And I started to look at the life of Jesus as a class one friend. I thought, I'm going to have a little read through the Bible. And I thought, do you know what? Jesus really is a class one friend. I mean, let's face it. Somebody rocking up into the world to die for the wrong of the whole world and take the punishment for the wrong of the whole world. That's pretty class one friend in my book. I mean, it helps that he also came back alive. That's pretty spectacular, class one friend. But I want to suggest to you this morning, it might be that you're here this morning, you've never, ever, ever said yes to Jesus. I want to tell you, he's a class one friend. He ain't going to leave you. He's not going to go off when another group of friends come along. He's not going to bail out when life gets a bit difficult. He's a genuine class one friend. In fact, the Bible says, greater lovers no one than this, than they lay down their life for their friends. Jesus laid down his life for his friends. He's got the greatest love. He is a class one friend. And if you've never invited him to be your friend this morning, I want to encourage you to do that. It just comes by simply throwing up your life to him and saying, God, I'm here. Please forgive me for leaving you out. Uh, please forgive me for doing my, my, the things that I've done in my life that are wrong. 
And I receive your forgiveness. And if you'd like to explore what that means, come and see us at the end of the service. We'd love to help you find this class one friend. And for the purposes of what I want to talk to you about this morning, I want us to just take a look at one instance of how Jesus was a class one friend. How are we going to do that? We're going to go to the place that throughout time and history has proved to be the best place to go to for all matters of life and faith. That's the Bible. So for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, if you'd like to follow with this reading, you'll understand what I mean if I say turn to John chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. For those of you who are not familiar with the Bible or don't have one with you, let me just read this short reading to you and then we'll have a little chit-chat about it. He says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact... It was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. Now, when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So let's picture the scene. You basically got God on earth, all right, walking around, doing normal stuff, okay? Being who he is. I want to encourage you this morning to be who you are. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a great principle for you in your relationship building. Because if the mates that you hang around with aren't comfortable with you being who you are, then I want to say to you, are they the kind of people you want to hang around with? And that is true for all of us, isn't it? We all want to be able to be who we are, to be our authentic selves. I read a a story uh, a, a number of years ago. Actually, some of you may have heard this story and it, it made me chuckle. It's, I don't know whether it's true or not. Uh, it's a story of how a married couple who had um, been living in a certain area of town, he had got some promotion, quite a significant promotion, so it enabled them to move to a more expensive part of town and, and they'd had an eye on, the, on a house in a particular area for a long time and never thought that they'd be able to do that Well, they were able to move and it kind of catapulted them into a new way of living and they found themselves being invited to a dinner party. They had never been to a dinner party before and so they were excited. The lady of the house, she went out and bought a new frock. The man, he just kind of wore what he always wore, quite frankly. Maybe ironed it a little bit, but nothing particularly spectacular. And then they went along to the evening. Now, have you ever found yourself where you're in a situation and you feel, to coin a phrase, like a fish out of water? Have you ever done that where conversation is happening around you and you have not really got a clue what's happening? You're just there and you face a decision to make in life. 
when the conversation and ebbs and flows. You remain quiet for so long, but then you face a decision that if you remain quiet, you look miserable. So you've got a major decision to make. Do you join in with the conversation that you have no knowledge of what the conversation's about? Or do you stay quiet? So, if you join in, you know, a few top tips for you in case you ever find yourself in a situation over the Christmas season where things are happening and you haven't got a clue. It's very simple to join in. You just smile when everybody else is smiling. You might laugh when other people are laughing. I don't know. You might shake your head or frown when other people are shaking their head slash frowning. Simple ways. But what you must never do is join in with the conversation. Well, she joined in with the conversation. I'm sorry, ladies, this is how the story is told. The conversation ebbed and flowed and flowed and ebbed. And eventually somebody shouted, Mozart, for example. Well, she got a whole new level of confidence. Mozart, what an amazing chap, she said. Do you know, I saw him just the other day on the number eight bus to Leicester Square. And the husband gave the wife one of those things that I call the spousal glare. Have you ever been on the receiving end of the spousal glare? It can strip you to the core. He looked at her. This is how their spousal glare was. It was like this. Followed by this. That generally means we're going. I got out of the house. Tires were screeching and whatever else tires do. Doors were slamming. We got in their own house. Wife looked at the husband. What? What? Said the husband. What? Mozart? You saw him just the other day on the number eight bus to Leicester Square. Everybody knows the number eight bus doesn't go to Leicester Square. Now, who thinks that's true? Give us a show of hands. Who thinks it's not true? Cynics. Who's not sure? Who's frankly not bothered either way? You're paid to be bothered. I don't know whether it's true or not, but when I read that story, it did make me chuckle. And what was sad, wasn't it, is that they find themselves in a situation, yeah, that is alien, but they feel they've got to fit in. They feel they've got to be somebody or do something. What I love about Jesus is he rocks up into this particular situation. You couldn't get any more real. You couldn't get any more down to earth. I often say, as followers of Jesus, we serve the most down to earth God. He literally left heaven and came down to earth. You don't get any more down to earth than that. He's not some kind of out there, highfalutin, distant, remote God. He's up close and personal with us. And here you have this example. I mean, come with me to the reading that I've just read. Let me take you to verse 7. It says, will you give me a drink? There is nothing more normal, nothing more real. He didn't come in sort of floating in three feet off the ground, see a well and go, 
and water miraculously came into his throat. He didn't do that. And what's remarkable about this, I think, at this particular point that Jesus asks for a drink, is at the end of his physical human resources. Why do I say that? Will you give me a drink? He's thirsty. The disciples had gone to buy food. He's hungry. Jesus, tired as he was, it says, sat down. He's tired. He's tired. He's hungry. He's thirsty. If that were me, I would be kicking off. I'd be what I call ratty. Does anybody else get a little bit like that? Have we got any people that get hangry here? When you don't don't have food, you start to kick off. Okay. Yeah. And so he's right, isn't he? He's right at the edge of his physical resources. He's he's, he's in that place where he's, he's just given out as much as he can. Do you ever feel like that in life? Where you just feel I've got nothing left in the tank. It's all gone. There's nothing left in the tank. And I think so often as followers of Jesus, we always feel we've got to be the ones to give, to pour out. And so often the thought of serving God when you're feeling that you've got nothing left can stress you out even more. Often the thought of seeking to read your Bible, pray, tell people about Jesus, or even just get up and come to church when you've got nothing left can just feel like it's taken out. But you know what I love about this passage? Before Jesus did anything for this wonderful lady, he asked her to do something for him. I think some of you here today need to learn to ask people to do stuff for you. I think you need to, I don't like the phrase, but I've got so used to saying it, reach out. I've got to reach out to other people. I think real friendship, real relationship, real community takes place when I have enough of a relationship with you that I feel I can say to you, can you help me? Can you help me? I really need you. I'm blessed that I've got people around me that I can ask to do stuff. Some of them are in my church. Many of them are in my street. They're not followers of Jesus, but I've got a great relationship with them. Will you give me a drink? We'll explore the significance of that more towards the end of my talk. But look then what happens. See, what happens is really, really fascinating. From, so that's in uh, 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 verse 7. Uh, take you forward a, a few sentences to verse 29. Uh, ladies met Jesus, had conversation. She then goes on to speak to her, her relationship, her community. Come and see a man that told me everything I ever did. I mean, he, he didn't. I've looked at it. I've studied the passage. He didn't tell her everything she ever did. But somehow, the way he communicated led her to believe that he knew everything. I actually think that what's taking place here, it's a study for another day, but I'm going to throw it out. They didn't get it in the first service. You're getting it in the second service. I actually think what is happening here, that in the normality and the tiredness of Jesus' natural life, the Holy Spirit's at work, articulating through him, giving him the words to say. That's what I've discovered, that whenever I'm weak, then the Lord works through us. 
It's another preach, but I think somebody needs to hear that here this morning. So I'm just throwing that one out as a little extra for somebody who may need to hear that this morning for themselves. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that time believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And then actually a little bit later on, it says, we now believe not just because of what you have said to us, but because we have come and seen for ourselves that this man really is the saviour of the world. These Samaritans had asked Jesus to hang around for a couple of days and spend time with him. I want to encourage you, if you're here and you've never, ever committed your life to Jesus, spend a few days exploring him. The problem often with church is when we talk about Jesus, we only tell you about his death. Now imagine you only met me when I died. How could you make a judgment about what I was like as a person? And unfortunately, most people make a judgment about what Jesus is like as a person purely on his death without exploring his life. It's a very shallow way to build friendships. If you meet somebody for the first time, okay, you don't go, see you when you're dead. Then we'll have a relationship. I want to tell you about Jesus' death because the truth is he died to take the punishment for the wrong of the whole world. When he died on the cross, he was taking the punishment for the wrong of the whole world and dealing with all sorts of stuff, not least removing the divide that separates people on the earth from God. But it's not all Jesus is about. If it was only about his death, he would have rocked up, not spent any time in public and then died. But for three years of his life, he went around doing some incredible stuff. Why? Because he wants you to understand what he can do in your life. Why? Because he's a class one friend. Jesus is worth having in your life, folks. Jesus is worth being mates with. He's worth being friends with. But you can't just pick him up and dump him. You've got to commit to being with him like any relationship. So I encourage you, if you've never said yes to Jesus, get to know him. Pick up a friendship and a relationship with him. Don't dump him. Stick with him. I love this... um, interesting little phrase that we have in the Bible. It says, the word became flesh and lived amongst us. Another part of the Bible. It's literally saying that Jesus was intentional about rocking up onto our world and living with us. Which takes me to my next little point. Be real, but be present. Did you know you can become a card-carrying member of the National Prune Juice Association. Do you know how often they meet? Regularly. <laughs> Did you know that you can, you can actually receive the Barbed Wire Collector magazine? You can. It's published in Texas every month and each company manufacturing barbed wire throughout the world makes each type to its own unique design. And wire enthusiasts, they have a name, avidly wait for new types of wire to come onto the market. The magazine has a section called Fence Facts. That's right, Fence Facts. And married couples are invited to send a photograph of themselves for a feature called the Prickly Pair of the Month. The pillar box study group, I call them post boxes. Maybe you call them post boxes, but they have a name. The pillar box study group meet regularly in Birmingham to study post boxes in Birmingham (laughs) and around the world. Founder member Ron Hall is no less famed, ladies and gentlemen, famed 
for his own survey of post boxes in Leamington Spa. Now, I live six miles from Leamington Spa. It's a lovely town. I have never once been to Leamington Spa and got so bored that I thought I'd do a study of the post boxes. And this is one of like numbers. Have we got any from back in the day, big breakfast fans in the house? Who remembers the big breakfast? Yes, one or two of you. At its peak, in my humble opinion, when Johnny Vaughan and Denise Van Outen hosted it. And they had this section every single week where somebody would come on and talk about their club. And there were some bizarre clubs. So I bought the book. Because I thought, I'll have a giggle, I like things like this, and it'll preach, as we say in the industry. So I had a little flick through, and I was just flicking through and saw all these random clubs. The first thing that came to my mind was this, why? And then I thought about it, no, why? And it was at that point that I thought, you know what? People need people. People need to identify, people need to connect, people need to be in community. I always think the best place to travel as a follower of Jesus or somebody exploring faith is in the community of believers. It's how you grow. It's how you discover. Again, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life over to Jesus, get connected with some fabulous people from here. This church runs a whole bunch of stuff that helps people to explore the Christian faith. There is a need for each one of us and in each one of us to be present, to belong. Jesus, it says in verse four, sat down. Had he not sat down, we wouldn't have had the rest of the story. In his tiredness, in his hungry, in his thirst, he didn't take on more, he took on less. And in that moment, we see the most significant conversation that Jesus has with an individual and littered, littered throughout the story of Jesus, you see that he just spent time with people and genuinely spent time. He didn't like spend time. He spent time. I love technology. I love my phone. Absolutely love it. But in recent times, I've just become to realize I... And I'm sure you would agree with yourself, with me on this rather. You can agree with yourself. It's no bad thing. But what I'm actually trying to say is I'm sure you'll agree with me. These things invade our life. And so I've, I've made a bit of a decision. And maybe this is a lovely little non-gospelly non challenge necessarily. But my life's pretty mad, pretty mad busy. And sometimes finding space in my diary to be with people is quite tricky. And then I get the space in the diary to be with people. And then I'm on my phone. I'm answering calls. So I've made a rule. When I'm with somebody now, unless I forget, but I'm doing my absolute best to say the only time I will ever accept a call or look at a text is if it's from a family member. Because that trumps everything. Family trumps everything, right? But take that out of the equation. I don't care anymore. I'm not doing it because I need to be present. And I love the fact that when Jesus came into our world, he wasn't distracted by everything. 
He came to be present. The Bible teaches lots about the intentionality of Jesus being present. You see, acquaintances happen, but friendships are built. The early church had this intentionality. It said they devoted. When you meet somebody who's devoted, sometimes it's hard to see why they're devoted, isn't it? Sometimes they can get a little bit out of balance with things. So devoted carries with it this this definition of being fixed on something, like something being the priority. And it says they devoted themselves to prayer, the apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, and fellowship. It's what the early church was established on. But it doesn't mean a cup of tea and a sport biscuit between services. Nothing wrong with that. It means that they devoted themselves to being together, to being present. They weren't distracted by everything. So I want to encourage you, if you want to be a class one friend, we need to learn to be real and not to, to feel we've got to be something that we're not. We've got to be true to who I am. I, I genuinely have arrived in a place in my life in the last few years where I am who I am. And now, let me caveat that. It doesn't mean I'm deliberately being an idiot and going to deal with. It's not what I'm chatting about. But I am who I am. I am Mark Greenwood. I can't, I, can't, I can't be anybody else. Number one, it's tiring. Being somebody else is really tiring. And number two, what a waste of me. What a waste of me. So be who you are. And if people don't like it, tough. As long as we're not deliberately trying to be annoying and provocative and horrible, but be, be who you are. And, and, and I, think, I think God's happy with the who you are because he made you. Be who you are. Be real. Be authentic. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, he's pretty critical in our life in terms of our authenticity. Don't hide it. Don't preach every given moment, but don't hide it. Be who you are. Really, really important. Third thing is a kind of draw to a close. So be real, be present, final, be caring. I am going to confess something to you now. I love staples. Not the little metal things that fasten things to walls that don't get me wrong in the right context. I quite like them too. I'm on about that. I don't even know if there are any of them still left. Somebody could Google it and let me know at the end of the service whether there are any of these last staples, the office superstar. Or it's a bit like B&Q, but for stationery. Have we got any stationery fans here? Hold your hand up high and proud. Yes, come on. Now we're chatting. I love stationery. Excellent. I love pens. I love... They're pointing to somebody over here. Is it, is it you? Oh, my gosh. Come on, bring that up here. Come on. Right, come on. Come on. Don't say you're shy because you've just been playing guitar for 30 minutes. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I give you... What? That, my friends... Oh my goodness, that. Look at the cover as well. Oh. 
that, honestly, that's really beautiful. Is there any money in there? No, no. But... <laughs> sorry to embarrass you. Not sorry to embarrass you. Okay. How good is that, by the way? I mean, that, that's, that's not Staples. That's not Staples, the office superstar. That's classy, that's a, That's classy. That's somebody who's minted. <laughs> I'm only joking. I'm only joking. <laughs> but off the, uh, Staples, the office superstar, I love it, honestly. And like, lots of people think that all Staples buildings are the same, but they're not. They're all quite different. They really are. In fact, as I said in the first service, I need to stop talking about it now because it makes it look like I'm one of those post-box study group type people. I'm just going to kind of recoil from this particular aspect of the talk. But I do love office and I do, uh, uh, Staples, the office superstar. I absolutely love stationery. And uh, genuinely, I find it quite relaxing. So every week when I lived in Huddersfield, particularly, I would go in every week and I'd just have a little wander around. Sometimes I'd buy things. Sometimes I wouldn't. One particular week, I bought a leather post-it note holder. It's very good. Re stitching on it was beautiful. Wasn't quite the outstanding leather that you've got, sir, but it was acceptable. <laughs> and this one particular week, I, I'd, I'd been in and I'd got to know this guy who'd, who'd only been there for a couple of months. He'd relocated and they, they made him like, you know, like a greeter who welcomes everybody into the store. And he was a brilliant choice for it because he was such a, a nice person. I was at a smile. This one particular week I walked in and he just looked really downcast. I said, mate, are you all right? He said, oh, I'm not, Mark, I'm not. He said, you know, I've only been here a couple of months. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, no. He, he, he wasn't a naturally uh, friend-making person, so he hadn't really got to know anybody, and he'd been in this property, and it was with one of these rather unscrupulous sort of landlords, and the landlord had called him that morning um, and said to him, look, I'm going to have to have you out of the house by the weekend. There was no contract. It's just one of those... Just not nice arrangements at all. And he was so worried he didn't really know anybody. So I said to him, look, mate, you know I'm from a church. I'll see whether anybody in church has got any spare rooms. I'll put it out on the network. I can't offer you because I'm away loads. So it just wouldn't work out from a family perspective. So I'll see what I can do. And I said, you know I'm a Christian. So, so I'll go away and I'll pray for you. Now I have discovered something. Really top tip for you here. You know if you're going to say you're going to pray for somebody, make sure you do it straight away. Not like in the middle of the supermarket, because that would look a bit weird. He would be a bit freaked out. But like, so I got into the car, because I, like you, have had those moments where you promised to pray for somebody and you've forgotten. Anybody else ever forgotten? Yeah, a few of you. And then you see them the following week, and they come up to you and they go, oh, your prayers. Your prayers. And inside you're going, hmm. Inside you're going, not my prayers. Not my prayers. But you can't say to them, no, no. No, not my prayers. Because that's a little bit horrible, isn't it? You know, when I said I'd pray for you, I didn't. And no, not my prayers. You can't say no, not my prayers. So you have to come up with a compromise. So what you do, you just go, well, it's the Lord, isn't it? And it really is the Lord. Because you did nothing. You didn't even pray. But thankfully, I went and prayed. Now, just for the sake of the story, I can't remember the exact timings, but just allow me a little bit of creative license because I can't remember the exact timings. But let's say it was at one o'clock in the uh, afternoon 
when I prayed for him. Right, so the following week, I'm back in, walking, this time, big smile on his face. I said, mate, you look happy. He said, you won't believe it. Try me. He said, what time did you pray? I said, well, about one o'clock. He said, well, at half past one, he said, I got a phone call for a text, I can't quite remember, from the landlord, who basically said this, I'm really sorry to mess you about. He said, things have changed my end. Is there any chance, I'm, I am going to have to ask you to leave, but is there any chance that you could stay in the property for two months because I don't want it empty? And just to say thank you, I'll give it your rent free for those two months. It's all right, isn't it? Yeah, love that, don't we? How good is that? And I was able to say, yeah, I did pray. I did pray, actually, now you mention it. But isn't that amazing? I have come to discover something in life. That showing that you care isn't always about big, massive things. In fact, actually, I've been blown away by the amount of people who've been touched when I've said, I'll pray for you. I'll get my church to pray for you. But they don't mind. Don't know me. It doesn't matter. They'll pray for you. Simple, simple ways of, of caring. It's, it's not this big, massive thing that we've, we've got to do. I mean, Jesus had nothing in him to show that he cared. He needed something from her. How on earth is that showing that you care? And yet, as I draw my talk to a conclusion, quite a remarkable thing is happening here by the fact that Jesus is saying, will you give me a drink? I can't go and do a big full Bible study, but just for the sake of those who don't really know the context. Many of you as followers of Jesus will know, but, will know. but basically she, she shouldn't have been um, having a conversation with Jesus. The, the fact that she was uh, getting water and out there at this time was because she had to draw it at a separate time from all of the other women that were around from a, from because of a cultural, historical cultural thing. So, so she's not supposed to be with, um, with Jewish women, and now she's with a Jewish man. And, and not only is she with him, but he's, he's talking to her. I mean, she would, have, she would have culturally felt quite compromised inside. She's, she's probably got, I'm guessing, because I know something of the seriousness of the, the situation, she's, she's probably got one eye looking around to see whether anybody is seeing this take place. Jesus, as a Jew comes to a Samaritan, as a man comes to this Samaritan woman, engages her in conversation, no, does more than that, actually says, there's something that you've got that can help me. It, it's, it's quite an incredible moment. It completely smashes all cultural biases. I am so pleased that my God smashes, that my Jesus smashes all cultural biases, whether it's race or whether it's sex, whatever it is, uh, class, he smashes right the way through it. And like, that was a massive caring moment. But all as he did, he said, can you give us a drink, love? I'm really thirsty. And I think it stems because Jesus was just a real person who was present and really cared 
And I wonder whether our prayer, as we start to tiptoe into Christmas, is Lord, help us to be authentically who we are with our faith in you, Jesus, not to be embarrassed about it, not to shy away from it, but not to be ramming it down people's throats. But we live and celebrate our faith in a really authentic way. And that we, we, we presence ourselves with those people that, that don't know Jesus as, as well as others. And that we show that we care and demonstrate that we care. As a friend of mine says, people won't care what you know till they know that you care. Let's pray, shall we? And then I'm going to hand back over to our team to finish the service. Let's just pause, shall we, for a few moments before I pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you turned up into our world and you were a class one friend. Help us to be that in the world you've placed us in. Help us to learn from you and lots of your interactions, but particularly as we focus on this one this morning. Help us to, to be who we are, to make sure we presence ourselves with people to make sure that we just care and help us all to do that, Lord, without feeling like we're burning out or at the end of our tether, just in the normality of everyday life. Help us to bring your presence to lots and lots of people. And we pray particularly as we start to tiptoe towards Christmas that we'll grab this opportunity to really show this world, our world, what Jesus is really all about. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.